0: Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. If you don't know me, my name is Jake. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm excited to uh, talk to you tonight. We're going to be talking on the Holy Spirit. We're all my Pentecostal friends in the room. Come on. Hallelujah. All my Reformed people are like, no. (laughs) I'm just messing. But hey, we're we're glad to be here. And I just want to really set the stage for this message by saying that if you'll lean in, if you'll lean into this message, I believe that your whole life can change. You see, because growing up in a Pentecostal or charismatic church like this church, we believe in the gifts, we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit, we talk about the Holy Spirit, and we know the language of the Holy Spirit, we we know what to do, we know the goosebumps or the feelings of the Holy Spirit, and, and we often get, talk. we talk about the Holy Spirit in a way that, If we're not careful, we can talk about him but not know him. Because here's the thing about God. God is one God who exists eternally in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Give me a thumbs up if this this is making sense. Father, Son, Spirit. Three persons eternally existing in one God who we know is God. And so the Father... And the Son gets talked about a lot. And then now we have the Spirit, which is the the third person of what we would call the Trinity. And we know the fruits of the Spirit. We understand maybe in 1 Corinthians the gifts of the Spirit. We understand that the, the, the Spirit is God. But just like other parts of our Christian faith, we can run the risk of knowing how to talk about him without knowing him. We can run the risk of knowing the language without knowing the person. Because here's the thing about the Spirit is that he is a person. Yeah. You know, with Star Wars and all the crazy movies, that have out, sometimes we can feel like, oh, like the Spirit is a force. The Spirit's an energy. The Spirit is, is this mystical force that we feel and you get goosebumps. But the reality of the person of the Holy Spirit is he is that, a person. And much like we can know our spouse, know our family, know our kids, know our friends, there is an invitation that we'll read about in Jesus in the scriptures that we actually can know the Spirit. And the crazy thing, is, you'll read in John 15, is that the Spirit testifies to Jesus. And so... You can try to learn about Jesus through history, through uh, extra uh, biblical books. You can watch The Chosen. You can do all of these things to try to learn about Jesus, but they will all fall short because the Spirit of God is the one who testifies to the Son, the God man. And the crazy thing is that the Son says, Hey, if you've seen me, what happens? You've seen the Father. So it's this eternal um, relationship, which when the Spirit testifies to the Son, the Son testifies to the Father, and the Father says, look at the Son and the Spirit. I don't know. I, this, some of you are, if you grew up in church, this is making sense. If you're new to church, it can seem confusing, but I hope to clarify this message to you. I just want to confuse you so you'll listen so I can unconfuse you, okay? <laughs> Unconfused. I just made up that word, okay? Um, so, lean in. I believe that this message, even if you've heard it before, can change it affect your life in a positive way. I want to start off by reading John 16, verse 7. It says, but very truly I tell you, it is good, this is Jesus speaking, I should preface it saying that, it is, good, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. That's speaking of the Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, Jesus, speaking to to his disciples, says that it's better that he leaves them and I just want to pause here and put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You've just seen Jesus walk on water, multiply fish, heal paralyzed people, raise Lazarus from the dead. You've seen him restore prostitutes. You've seen with your eyes God with us. And then Jesus comes to them and says, hey guys, it's going to be better for you if I leave. Now, just think about what you would like think in that moment. You'd be like... How can it get any better than this? And there are those in the church and in Christian culture who will say, if only I were alive when Jesus was alive. If only I could have seen Jesus while he was here on earth. And my message to you is, are the words from Jesus. It is better that he is gone. It is better that he is at the right hand of the Father because you have the Holy Spirit. Oh man. We don't believe this though. That's the thing. We, We don't believe that the Spirit is enough. We don't believe that the Spirit's enablement power is enough for our lives. We don't believe that God in us through the Spirit is the is the has the power to transform our lives, our families our cities, and our country. We do not believe the spirit of God is enough. In other words, you don't believe Jesus' words in John 16. I don't. Jesus says, it's better that I go. You see, Christ came. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to solve the problem of human sinfulness. Write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus came to solve the problem of human sinfulness. Humans were sinners. We were dead in our sin. It says the wrath of God was upon us and there was no way out. You couldn't undo your sin. You couldn't undo your wrong. The judgment of God was on humanity because we were all sinners. There was no one who was righteous. So Christ came as the uh, man's representative in order to take on our sin so that we could be forgiven and be restored to, the, to God or restored to the Father. So Christ came to solve the problem of human sinfulness. So in Christ, if, you place, if we've placed our faith in him and in his work and in the grace of God, then we our sin problem is dealt with. God looks at us as if we've never sinned. He looks at you as a spotless lamb. He looks at you like when you're like, God, I'm so terrible, I've done this and this and this. He looks at you and goes, what are you talking about? Because sin has been dealt with at the cross. Hebrews talks about you can't put Jesus on the cross again. Your sin is forgiven. So why send the Spirit? So if our sin is dealt with and we're clean and forgiven and on our way to heaven, why does God then send us the Holy Spirit? Why does He send us the person of the Holy Spirit? Is because, write this down if you're taking notes, the Holy Spirit solves the problem of human weakness. You guys, we're weak. We're like, I'm not gonna eat that cookie. You eat the cookie. You're like, I'm never saying that again. You say it again. I'm going to lose 15 pounds. You gain 15 pounds. You, You guys, we are so weak in our constitution. We are so weak as humans on our own. Our best efforts of being strong often hurt the people in our lives. We say, you grew up in poverty, you say, I'm going to be rich, and so you neglect your family, your kids go wayward, and you're like, how did this happen? I thought if I had enough money, then my kids would turn out okay. You see, because even in our efforts to do good, we get byproducts that are not what we thought they'd be. So the Spirit solves the problem of our human weakness. And so learning to know the Spirit of God solves the problem of our weakness. So why does? how does God work this out? How does he work this out? I'm going to kind of go back to the Old Testament and I'm going to bring it back into the New Testament um, for the rest of my time tonight. So the Holy Spirit, God with us, solves the problem of human weakness. So let's rewind to the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, before Christ had come, the Holy Spirit only ever came upon people. So I want you to imagine the spirit, like a, like a, uh, almost like a jacket or a coat, would come and it would come upon a saint or a chosen person in the nation of Israel. And so we see this in Numbers 24.2, where uh, Balaam, the spirit of God, comes on Balaam. We see it in Judges 3.10, where his name is Othniel, who's Caleb's younger brother. The Holy Spirit comes and rests upon him for a specific task. We see Gideon in Judges six, verses thirty, verse thirty-four, where the Spirit comes and comes upon him like a coat. We see in Judges eleven, twenty-nine, Jephthah. Um, the Spirit comes upon Jephthah. We see Samson in Judges 13. The Spirit comes upon Samson. We see it in 1 Samuel 10.10 10, where the Spirit comes upon Saul and he uh, dances and prophesies. We see it in uh, 1 Samuel 16 verse 3 where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David. Now, there's one instance in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit fills someone and that was um, be- I'm sorry I always mess up this name Bezalel Bezalel in Exodus 31 and he was actually a craftsman who was filled with the spirit in order to construct the temple and so that's the only instance in the Old Testament where someone is filled with the spirit all the rest of them the spirit only came upon now why would, you, why would the spirit only come upon because the problem of sin hadn't been dealt with yet you see, Christ had to come to clean out the inside, to purify the, the heart that the, so that the spirit could come. See, in the Old Testament, they weren't forgiven and so the spirit could only rest upon them for a task that would, that would, uh, that would accomplish God's, God's purposes. And so in the Old Testament, he only came upon people except for that one instance in Exodus. But now in the New Testament, it says this. It's prophesied in Joel 12, actually. So in Joel, which is in the Old Testament, we see this pretty famous uh, prophetic statement from Joel. In Joel uh, 2 verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So this is not normal because in the Old Testament the spirit only came upon special, uh, special chosen saints or people in Israel's history. But Joel's prophesying that there's going to come a day when the Spirit of God will come upon everyone. Not just the special ones, not just the pastors, not just the the Christian leaders, but the Spirit of God will come upon everyone. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit." So the Spirit of God is prophesied that it would be poured out. That the the very God himself would come upon humanity in the masses. And so we read in Matthew 3, we're going to progress in the story where John the Baptist is speaking and he says this in Matthew 3, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, which is Jesus is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So I want you to think about, if you're familiar with what baptism looks like, I want you to think about, you know, like we have the tub and you go down all the water and you baptize them in the water. So there's a water baptism, but then now he's speaking of a spiritual baptism. So if you can think of like, I don't know how you'd imagine it, but there's the Spirit of God and then Jesus takes you. He takes you and he dunks you in the spirit. Now, why would Jesus baptize us in the spirit? Why would he do that? Well, let's read in John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said not about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But now you see Jesus is glorified and so now the spirit of God, he wants to baptize you or dunk you, dunk us in the spirit, immerse us in the spirit so that we get so full of God's spirit that from our belly flows rivers of living water. Now, what what does this actually mean? It's a lot of uh, biblical language. What it means is that your human weakness must be consumed by the Spirit of God in order for you to live the Christian life the way God designed. It means that the capacity and and the... And the potential that you have as a human is no longer limited by your weakness, by your heritage, by your race, by your bank account. It means that there are no more excuses for why a Christian might not live the best Christian life. Because, like he said, Jesus says, it's better that I go because I will send you the Spirit. And so the devil, knowing the power of the Spirit, convinces Christians, especially in our area, to be spooked out and afraid of the Spirit instead of getting to know him. Because he knows this one thing, if we get to know the Spirit, the Spirit will show us Christ. And if the Spirit shows us Christ, we'll no longer long for sin and the material things of this world. And that we will have a clear vision that our life is like a vapor and that one day we'll die. And so we might as well grow God's kingdom here so that when we die, our Father will usher us in and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. So the devil and his demons are doing everything they can to get you to focus on you instead of you focusing on the power and the capacity and the capability of the spirit of God which is in you. So he saves you, Christ saves you. And you it says well, you are given the spirit. So when you are when you are saved, the spirit comes to dwell within you. Your sin is forgiven. Christ comes, or the spirit comes, and he's, he makes his home in you. He makes his home in me. It's crazy imagery that God wants to move into your life. He's not a distant God who you have to call or text or FaceTime. He's like there with you. But now there's this thing called the baptism, which I mentioned, which is a second experience that happens to the believer where you don't just get the spirit indwelt. Like I said, he immerses you. It is like a dunk. It is like all of your weakness, all of your weakness, all of your baggage goes into the spirit and he baptizes you, cleanses you, empowers you, strengthens you, and then you come up and you're a new person. It is a second experience. So we read about it in Acts 2, this prophecy fulfilled, where the disciples, Jesus had risen from the dead, the disciples are up in the upper room in Acts 2, and it's described that the Spirit comes and the, the disciples are in the room, and then the Spirit comes, tongues of fire rest upon them, and they speak in tongues, and they are filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. The prophecy of Joel 2 comes to pass in Acts 2. And there's, a new, there's another prophecy that's fulfilled at that point in Ezekiel 36. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the Holy Spirit is like in you and he's given you a new heart to want to obey God and to follow Jesus and to sacrifice for his kingdom. He's given you this new heart and now he gives us this gift of the baptism of the Spirit which empowers you to do and be someone that you were always created to be. The person that maybe you never thought you could be, you can become with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have this imagery of the baptism of the spirit, this immersion into the spirit of God that empowers you to live the life that God has called you to live, free from sin, free from addiction, full of boldness, full of strength, full of confidence, full of humility. And then we hear we see this other description of the work of the spirit. We see it in the book of Acts. It says this in Acts 4 actually they were being persecuted and they were gathering to pray for boldness. So if you want to be full of the Spirit or have the Spirit's um, effect in your life, pray for boldness to testify in public and to your family. This is what happened in Acts 4. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they're praying for boldness. They weren't praying for a filling. They weren't saying, "Holy Spirit, fill me." What were they praying for? They were praying for boldness. Because here's the thing: you think you know what you need, but you don't even know what you need. That's why the scriptures tell us to pray in the spirit and to pray in tongues. Because when we pray in the spirit, and we pray in tongues. We're praying what the spirit wants, not just what we want. So what the spirit's saying is, what God is basically saying is, like, you guys are a mess. You'll always be a mess. You'll continue to be a mess. Unless you learn to know the Spirit of God, you'll always be a mess. You can't even pray without the Spirit. You can't even pray without the Holy Spirit. And even if you do, you're going to pray with wrong motives like James talks about and then all of your prayers are wasted. So the goal isn't to clean yourself up. The goal isn't to just overcome your sin in your own strength. Your goal isn't to, you know, pray for your wayward son or daughter to come home. Your goal isn't just to pray and be a good old Christian faithful servant. Your goal is to know the spirit because then his power will rest upon you and the things that you want will have the backing of the spirit and they will happen. Whatever you ask for, it'll be given to you. Not because you're some special saint, but because you've learned to know the presence of, of God with you, which is the spirit of God. Well, Jake, how can I quantify this? How can I know that he's with me? How, how do I learn to recognize his presence? Friends, I, I've, been, I've tried to create a system in the last seven years, and basically, you, know, you try to create a system of how to know the spirit, and what you conclude is that you have to just want it. You gotta, be, you gotta become so desperate for all that God has that it drives you to your prayer closet in which you say, God, I'm not coming out until I know your presence. I can't give you that want to. I can't give you that desire. Only you can come to the place of desperation, the end of your rope, and say, God, I'm not playing the lukewarm game. I'm not playing middle of the road. I'm not playing Sunday Christian. I'm not playing lukewarm cultural Christian. I want all that God has for me. And I'm telling you, all that God has for you is in the person of the Holy Spirit. It says this. It says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God, the the way that we live the victorious Christian life is in the Holy Spirit. It's when we learn his ways, learn his voice, learn his presence, learn his empowerment, learn his conviction. We learn his ways. It says this in Acts 13 about the filling of the Spirit as well. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, you might ask, you might ask what's, the, what's the context for this verse? They had just preached the word of God and they were persecuted. So they preached the word of God. Here's what I know. Sometimes when I preach or I evangelize to someone and they don't, you know, they're not recipro- they don't reciprocate it and maybe they're like, just go away, you bigot, or something like you know They say, call you a name or something. So I'm like, God, like, ugh. Oh. I should have done that wrong. I should have done that different. I should have, should have chosen a different approach. It says here that when they preached the word of God and were persecuted, they were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. So do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Here's a tip. Go and spread the gospel. Here's the deal. We're wanting God to fill us up without doing anything. We're wanting God to like come in and God fix me and make me so confident so they don't have to take any risk in life. And God is saying, go out, my soldier. You're clean, you're blameless, you're sinless because of the blood of Christ. Go out there and testify about my son Jesus, and then you'll learn what the Spirit's like. But here, the, 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 one of the names of the Spirit is the comforter. He's the comforter, and everyone's like, oh, warm blanket, oh, Netflix, oh, cup of coffee, comforter, you know what I mean? It's like, no, it's like persecution, suffering. It's like, get out there and do things that you're terrified to do, and in the place that you're so terrified, you feel like you'll have an anxiety attack. The spirit comes, and he says, I'm with you, and you're like, this is what comfort feels like. You see, Christians in America specifically, we play it so safe, we're so reserved, we're, we so hold back about what we know we ought to do. We go and listen to another sermon, another podcast, another, another message from our favorite speaker. We gather all this knowledge, accumulate all this, this so-called wisdom, and then we do nothing with it. And the Spirit is not involved in our accumulation of knowledge. He is involved when we go outside of our comfort zone and we say, God, I want to see your kingdom in my life. You see, if we want to know God, we have to get him out of our box and we got to get out of our comfort zone. You see, the filling of the Spirit is given to those who empty themselves. That was good. I'll say it again. The Spirit of God, or the filling of the Spirit, is given to those who empty themselves, who say, not my will, but yours be done. You see, when we empty ourselves of our rights, privileges, comforts, and we say, God, I don't have anything really that I can bring you because I'm just one human out of eight billion, but God, I give you myself. And I will do it the best I can, right? And I will give it a go, even if I feel like I'm awkward and clunky and like feel like a middle school boy who's going through puberty and then my voice cracks while I'm doing it. I will do it. And what happens is when you do that consistently with a posture of humility, that's where you learn the spirit. You see, we can get introduced to the spirit in church because he's among us, but you will not know him until you go. You will not really know him until there's money on the line. Until there's the stakes of your, your reputation. Yeah. Until there's the, the high stakes of your comfort. Yeah. Because God is not looking just to fill Christians in churches. He's looking to fill them so that they go out into the world. So we hear about this baptism. And also, I'm sorry, I'm going to read this verse. It's a great one. Ephesians 5. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So we see this baptism of the Spirit, and we hear that filling of the Spirit in Acts and in Ephesians 5. What am I getting at here with pointing these things out? God is not, the Holy Spirit is not an accessory. I feel like sometimes we treat God like you know, God, I'll just invite you into my life. I'll invite, you can come along if you want to. Like, yeah, like, you can come with me if you want. Like, we treat the Holy Spirit like it's an option. Like, when we're making decisions, we're like, oh, I guess I'll ask the Holy Spirit what we should do in this situation. I guess I'll pray, (laughs) maybe that'll help. What I'm hoping to get you'd imagine is the two words, baptism, dunk, fully immersed, and filling. So he dunks you, you get up, and then he fills you. It's dunk, full immersion, fill to the brim. What I'm trying to get across is that God does not want to be an accessory. He wants to completely fill every part of us. And that the Holy Spirit's role, the person of the Holy Spirit's role is to consume you. And you're like, I don't know if I signed up for that. This is the Christian life. There is no come to church, check a box. There is none of that in the Bible. The Bible describes that you lay down all of your life for the sake of the one who laid down his life for you. But it gives you the spirit that enables you to follow him. And the Spirit is the one who makes you so uncomfortable with where you are and so he, he whets the appetite for more of God's kingdom and what can happen is we're so comfortable or even we're so afraid of stepping out that we don't do it and what I'm here to say is if you will simply say yes to what the Spirit is urging you to do which all of us have things that the Spirit is doing in us, if we will start with the one little thing and we'll say God I will obey you in this area, fill me up that he will fill you to overflow but if we treat God if we treat God like an accessory and add on to our life you will live defeated you will live you will live so low in your Christian life and this is the hard part you will live unsure if you are saved you will live uncertain of whether or not you are saved because you do not know him you do not have this intimate knowledge of the God of the universe that I can't even explain to people that I just know him. Well, how do you know him? Well, I, I know him through the scriptures, but I know him. Like I know what it feels like when he enters the, my time of prayer and, and he speaks to my heart about how I'm treating my wife or or what I'm supposed to do in my future or what to pray for. Like I just know him. Well, Jake, how did you get to know him? I got to know him not by just sitting in the pews. I got to know him by taking what I learned and putting it to practice. And saying, Holy Spirit, I don't want you to be in the box of church. I want you to fill my whole life. And I don't want to live a life at the end of my days to say I just tithed 10%, went to church, had a wife and a family and... Retired and played golf the rest of my life. <laughs> like that, That's not what I want. I want my life to testify that God is the God of miracles. On, that's right. I want my life to be intertwined with brothers and sisters in a way that it's just like, it's just like, how do I even know these people? How do I have these, how do we love each other so deeply? How do I love people that are so different than me? And how can we gather every week and love each it? Why? It's because... We all share in the same spirit. Yeah. The spirit that's in me is in you. The spirit that's in you is in them. The sp- and that's all testifying to the goodness of Jesus right. and his work on the cross. On. The last point that I want to make here is that so we have him baptizing us, fully immersed, filling us to overflow. <laughs> Get this imagery. This is this is exciting. And some of you are like freaked out. You're like, I don't even know what this is going to. What are you even talking about? The the beautiful part is it is mystical. It isn't supposed to be formulaic. It's supposed to be God saying, I want to fill you and love you and make your life something that it can never be without me. So holy, so pure, so peaceful, so righteous. I want to turn you into someone who looks just like my son, Jesus Christ. Some of you are like no, Jesus, I can never look like Jesus. The Bible says it says as he was so are you. John 14, the works that I do you'll do and even greater because I go to my father. The last thing description that I'll mention tonight about the Holy Spirit is the indwelling. So we have we have baptism We have filling, now we have indwelling. It says this in Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 2 Timothy 1. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Galatians 4, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we have, he, you guys, you're so weak. I'm so weak. And God knows that we're weak. So he sent his son to save you from your sin and he sends his spirit to save you from your weakness. So he baptizes you, he fills you, and then he says, that's not good enough, I'm moving in it's not good enough. I'm moving in. He indwells us. It says we are his temple that God himself dwells within us. And my hope is to stir and to spark a yearning to know the God who's moved, maybe he moved in 30 years ago and he's like the neighbor that you have, that you, you moved in three years ago, you never talked to him. So you're like, it's done. I can never go talk to him. It's been three years. It'd be too awkward. You know what I'm talking about? You have that neighbor and you're like, yeah, I can't do it anymore. My time has passed. Listen, don't have that mindset towards the spirit. Listen, he is, he is waiting for you to come and knock and say, he's like, I've been here 30 years. I've been here 18 months. He's like, I've been waiting for you to come and knock and get to know me. I've been here all along. And this is what it says. I'll end with this in Romans. I have two, two, two closings, like a good Pentecostal preacher. It says this in Romans 8. So why don't we know him, feel him, encounter him? Why are, we, why are we not pursuing him maybe to the capacity that we ought to? And I think Romans 8 gives an answer or maybe a reason. It says the mind set on the flesh is Death. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So what's my point here? My point is that your mind matters. Your habitual thought life will determine how much interaction and involvement the spirit has in your life if your mind is set on earthly things if your mind is set on worry all the time if your mind if our minds are set on lustful thoughts if our minds are set on bitterness, if our minds are set on TikTok, if our minds are just set on scrolling on Instagram, if your mind is set on politics, if your mind is set on what's gonna happen to our country, if your mind is set on the things of this world, you will miss the spirit. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. The difference is our focus, our attention and commitment to getting to know him. Acts 10.34 says this. So Jesus, I'm sorry, let me set it up. Jesus preaches the gospel and the Holy Spirit falls and indwells the Gentiles. So the Jews were very surprised by this. And it says this in Acts 10. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand God shows no partiality. Peter is saying here is that the Holy Spirit is for everyone. (laughs) The Holy Spirit just filled the Gentiles. The Spirit of God is for everyone. God does not show favoritism. He does not show partiality. The Holy Spirit, God himself, wants to indwell everyone. And then in Luke 11, it says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So God shows no partiality, and he gives the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. So you might say, Jake, I don't fully understand this. Do you want more of God? Ask for more of the Spirit. You might say, Jake, I have sinned in my life. (laughs) You you don't go to a car wash, you don't wash your car before you go to the car wash. You go to the car wash to get clean. You go to the Spirit of God and he will testify of Christ's work and that will clean you up. You confess your sin. you, You get what I'm saying? Like No matter what situation we're in, the Spirit is for us. So, I'm going to close just by having everyone stand up. We're just going to just go to a time of quick prayer, and then I'll dismiss you. Um, I'm just going to ask everyone to like, take one step maybe to the side, just spread out just a little bit. I just want you to get you kind of out of your comfort zone a little bit. <laughs> now. I just talked about the spirit for 40 minutes. And my prayer and my expectation is that some of you have, have begun or the Lord has begun to work to yearn for, to know him. And maybe you've known about him, known him, and maybe you do actively know him. And my encouragement is like, whenever this happens to me and I'm in this service like this, I'm like, Lord, more. Like, I want more. You never graduate from more of God. The moment that you feel you've graduated, you've been demoted to JV. (laughs) The moment you feel like you don't need something anymore is the moment that that you have stopped growing. And so everyone just close your eyes. And this isn't gonna be super complex. I want everyone just to repeat after me. And after we repeat this prayer, I'm just gonna have one minute of silence. And after this minute, if you want, more of the Holy Spirit in your life do what Luke 11 says and just say Holy Spirit I want you I want to know you I want to recognize you and I want you to fill me just start praying that to the Holy Spirit after we get done praying this prayer together so everyone just repeat after me say Holy Spirit I recognize your presence Holy Spirit I want more of you I want your fruits to abound in my life I want your empowerment to overcome sin would you fill me more tonight to overflow just take one minute If you're sensing something, a simple prayer I always ask is just more, Lord. Just say more. Some of you are being tempted to think about all the situations you need help with right now. And I'm telling you, just put those on Pause. Literally, put the pause button and say, Spirit, I just want you. His presence is your solution. I'd like to end this time by you just kind of interacting with the Holy Spirit about one thing that you've known you were supposed to do for a while, and then you've put you've just put on the back burner for a little bit. One thing you've been avoiding doing that you know you are supposed to do. And I want you just to interact with the Holy Spirit. In a sense, make a commitment. Say, I, "I'm I'm going to follow your leading on that." Would you help me to follow through? With everyone's eyes still closed. There are some in the room who are far from God. You came tonight or maybe you're watching online because you're in crisis and if, if we were to be in a conversation and I would ask you, do you know if you're right with God and on your way to heaven? You would say, I don't know. You do not have to be uncertain. The Bible says to know that you have eternal life. And the way that you know is by Placing your faith in Jesus Christ as God, as Savior, and as the one who died for your sin. And if I were to bet, God has already been working on your heart. And now this moment is drawing a line in the sand saying, I am going to live for Jesus from this day forward. And when you make this prayer your own, we're going to pray in a minute. God is going to save you, make you brand new from the inside out. And like we talked about, he is going to send his spirit into your life to help you, to guide you, and to know you. So if you want to do that tonight, we're gonna say a prayer and just make these words your own. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I confess that I have sinned. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others. And I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus is that Savior, that He died on the cross for my sin and rose back to life, defeating the devil in all demonic powers. And I believe that he is going to come again. So from this day forward, I give you my life. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org. Follow us on social media or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.